Happy Dog Nation. Happy Thursday night to you. Welcome to Cover 4 Live. My name is Brandon Adams. Happy to have the entire Dog Nation team, team with us. Mike Griffith, Jeff Sintel, Connor Riley. Lots to talk about when it comes to Georgia's game against South Carolina on Saturday. What we expect to see and how that can serve, serve as a springboard to other games that are upcoming here for UGA. We'll do all that over the course of our time together. However, let's also begin this way. Georgia does get a commit uh, here today in the uh, person of Carlton C.J. Madden. Uh, Jeff, you had covers this at dognation.com. Before we dive into the rest of the content, I guess give us a quick word here on what Georgia picks up in Madden, certainly one of the deepest programs high school-wise in the Atlanta area, and Georgia gets more inroads there. But what do you think about Madden as a player? Yeah, it's a pretty strong addition. I think um, I think recruiting rankings are about eight to ten months behind how good these players actually are. I think Carlton Madden is the 14th highest rated person in this class. I don't know if they're going to be eight or nine guys more talented than him by the time this class all comes together. I'm forever going to ingrain it in beat writer Mike Griffith's mind that uh, this guy is a three-star in standing alone. Uh, he was rated as a three-star back when he weighed about 205 pounds. And then he ate about 572 peanut butter and jelly sandwiches along with push-ups every day, added about 35 pounds to his body, and became a Georgia viable committable offer he committed about a he committed about a month ago silently and had to wait it out until september the 16th today uh, and he's very happy to be a bulldog that's good news we'll talk more about this when jeff makes an appearance on dog nation daily tomorrow for now though want to zero in what's going to happen to georgia and south carolina on saturday lots of intrigue about who might start a quarterback how that quarterback would play if it's bennett again can he come close to replicating what he did a week ago against uab and does Georgia really make it look as easy as the experts think they will? More than 30-point favorites in Athens on Saturday. Of course, some fans remember the last time South Carolina was here as more than a three-touchdown underdog, finding a way to get the outright win. Mike, I'll just kind of volley it to you and let you start the conversation. We'll see where it goes from there. Uh, whether it's quarterbacks or anything else, what do you expect to see happen on Saturday in Athens against the Gamecocks? Well, I don't think you're going to see the fast start that you saw against UAB. I mean, that was just UAB coaches getting outclassed and coaching at a conference USA level. I mean, Georgia set those up for those shots, and there really wasn't a whole lot to it. You know, guys weren't playing deep, and, and Georgia ran by them. Uh, South Carolina's coached better than that. Uh, that's not going to happen. Kirby's going to try to establish the run. That's going to be really important. This has the potential to be a wet-weather game. Uh, but secondly – uh, you want to establish that run because that's what sets up the play-action pass, and that's a big part of Georgia's game. Uh, Jeff, how about for you? Uh, I'm assuming that there's no one on this panel that thinks Daniel's going to start. Maybe I shouldn't make that assumption, but I'm assuming no one thinks he does. Can I count you in that group as as assuming that Daniels is not starting on Saturday? Yeah, I don't think I don't think JT's starting. I don't know when he needs to start. Probably another two weeks at least. Uh, Maybe the Arkansas game sounds about right. Uh, I think uh, – who was it? Maybe somebody in the media sphere said that Ryan Seacrest could start for the Georgia Bulldogs. Ryan Seacrest is a UGA Journalism School alum. Uh, no, he's not. He didn't go University of Georgia. He went here for one you, semester. Please. University of Georgia, former student. Please. Excuse me. Thank you, Connor. Thank you, Connor. Um, I'm sure he sends out big checks to the University of Georgia regardless. Um, but uh, Ryan Seacrest, to be corrected by uh, my good friend Connor, uh, they said Ryan Seacrest could start at Georgia for the next few weeks. I think that's a little bit hyperbole, but it's not it's not a, a 10,000 leagues uh, from the truth. Um, we all, we're all thinking Stetson Bennett, guys, right? Anybody thinking anything else? I mean, I tell you what, Kirby Smart would have the whole media tribe going bonkers if Brock Vandegrift or Jackson Muschamp rolled out in a swift – Turn of revenge having Jackson Muschamp help beat the Gamecocks on Saturday. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I guess let's just do this real quick. I mean, Mike, you don't think that Daniels is starting on Saturday, do you? I don't know. 50-50 between him and Bennett. You think it's 50-50? Connor, how about yeah. – the? How about, I mean, if you want to give me a percentage or just your opinion all the way around. I might go 55-45 that he starts. I think he's – you know, Really? We've heard, yeah. I mean, we've heard that he's wow. doing better. Kirby threw out there that Stetson Bennett's dealing with a back injury, even though James Cook told us last night he didn't know anything about Stetson having any sort of deal with a back injury there. And, I mean, the fact of the matter is, I think JT still needs to get quality reps with this team. I, I think the oblique injury pretty clearly limited what he could do against Clemson. And while, yeah, Vanderbilt and South Carolina might not be great opponents, I don't know if you've looked at Georgia's schedule, but 
after this weekend, there's a good chance Georgia's October is going to have four teams on it in the month of November or in the month of October, where all four teams are ranked, depending on how that Auburn Penn State game goes. So it's a tough schedule, and I do think this offense needs to get some chemistry with JT Daniels, that passing game there as well. So if they're able to build and establish that and they have a chance, I think there's an absolute chance that we go out and see JT Daniels at least to start the game this weekend. Well, I totally agree with the point that you're making there that I do think Georgia needs Daniels back before you get into some of these tougher games in October, what it looks to be Arkansas on paper, certainly the potential of Auburn on the road. Georgia's had its issues at Jordan-Hare Stadium before. If you want to go back to 2017, didn't exactly, you know, play a thing of beauty in 2019. That has been a tough stadium for Georgia in the past, even though for the most part, Georgia has handled Auburn pretty good. And obviously, we don't know what yet to make of the uh, Florida game. A lot of that will be determined by how close Florida can keep it against Alabama on Saturday. So I agree with you with the idea of, it's kind of nice to get that rhythm back going again. I guess I just take seriously right now the, the you know, whatever it was that kept Daniel – or not whatever it was, the oblique situation that kept Daniels out of the UAB game. I, I guess I'm not quite so sure that's only going to be a uh, one-week story. But for along those lines, Connor, I mean, you kind of brought this up before the show started. It sounds like you were certainly of the belief that you'd like to see, if you're a Georgia fan – Daniels playing before that Arkansas game on October 2nd. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Yeah, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't feel comfortable throwing my quarterback out there after essentially a month off away from game competition. And he's going in there against an Arkansas team, which I mean, with what we know about AM right now, and Haynes King won't be in there for that game, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest to see Arkansas beat AM next week. And that's a potential top 15 game there. And obviously, I think Georgia has a talent edge in that game, but. I don't know, with the way Hudson Card and Casey Thompson got roughed up for Texas last week against uh, against Arkansas, I don't know if I want to throw JT right back out there. Obviously, you have the rest factor in there that you want to get him to as close to 100% as you can. But at the same point in time, you know, you need – football is a violent physical game. No one's going to be 100% by the fifth game of the season. And so if JT is able to be close to that and – conversely get reps and go out there and play well I think that's an important step that this Georgia offense needs to continue to make because it's one thing to go out there and look good against UAB or even a South Carolina at Vanderbilt there as well but you want to have this offense sort of firing on all cylinders going into that October stretch because I mean BA you said it a thousand times it's really hard to play well in three straight and in Georgia's case it's going to have to be four straight though there is a buy thrown in there in the month of October and so I, I think if you can get JT ramped up a little bit going into that month of October. I think that'd be big for this Georgia offense. What about that, Mike? How important is it to get JT and healthy receivers and just get the full complement of what this offense is going to be playing together before you get to a month in October that on paper somehow, some way is just tougher than what Georgia's being asked to do in September. How important is get that group clicking before you get there? Well, I always say the best ability is availability. And so I think it's very important, uh, Brandon, I think that uh, JT does need to play before the Arkansas game. I don't know that he necessarily needs to play in this game. I just know the head coach said that if JT looked 100% and could get the ball downfield, that he would start. That's what Kirby said. Uh, Kirby was honest with us last week, too. Someone asked him if if, uh, Carson Beck was the number two, and he was honest and said yes. Nobody asked him who the number one was. It just turned out Stetson Bennett was the number one. So I'm just going to listen closely to what Kirby says. And, and uh, you know, I'm hearing that, that JT's getting reps. To me, that's interesting uh, because Kirby said that with the strained oblique, the remedy is rest and that you don't want to do anything to irritate it. So uh, that makes me wonder how many reps he's getting. Typically, it's after tonight's practice that they make that decision. Um, and then they tell the quarterbacks tomorrow. So I'm not sure where George is at in that discussion. Um, excuse me, they actually, after Wednesday night's practice, I'm sure they've told the quarterbacks. I haven't heard where they're at in that discussion yet. You know, Jeff, I'm reminded of like when I was a kid, like when Kobe and Shaq were together for the Lakers, it seems like they just kind of just, you know, slept, walked through about two-thirds of the regular season. Then you just sort of flip a switch, and all of a sudden you're playing at a championship level. Like if you're a all-time great, like Hall of Famer, like a Kobe or Shaq, you can kind of do that. Shaq would show up, you know, out of shape to start the season, things like that. You know, if you're an all-time great at the NBA level, maybe you could do that. I just don't think college football works the same way. I, I do think there's something to be said for chemistry playing together, you know, not just for JT, but for all the guys, the guys that are catching the ball from JT. You know, JT just getting more familiar. I mean, 
Remember, you know, Daniel's only started five games in Georgia uniform. We're still fairly early into his tenure in terms of him getting comfortable with the guys that he's playing with. I mean, I, I just think the idea that at some point in time, midseason or beyond, Georgia's going to flip a switch when it finally has everybody healthy. I feel like you have to have a little bit of an on-ramp to that kind of success, and that's why – you know, I'd love to see it be Saturday. I'm pretty skeptical that it will be, but it sounds like Connor and Mike, who follow this stuff pretty closely, feel differently. So I'll, you know, trust them on that. But if not this week against South Carolina, next week against Vanderbilt would be certainly good news for me because, as I said before, I do kind of want that on-ramp towards the games that that really matter most because Georgia's got some tough ones coming up in October. I don't know, Brandon. You mentioned an on-ramp. I, I seem to recall JT Daniels having about 15 months off and then throwing for four, 450 yards against Mississippi State. Um, I, I, I just kind of think the best thing for JT is to get rest, uh, get the receivers back right. And, you know, I heard a comment earlier about Stetson Bennett's back. That makes me think, you know, the only thing might, that might be wrong with Stetson's back is how he carried George's passing game stats on his back mm-hmm. against UAB. Good um, that that might be the only malady for for him right there. Uh, man, I, I thought he played really well. And I, th- I think it's a reinforcement for all of us, even those that follow rankings and stars, that, you know, we've always felt that Stetson Bennett could get this job done. Uh, it was just the attrition of the season last year where he just couldn't take the hits. He couldn't hold up. I think there's a lot to be said about, you know, if Stetson was doing the same things at 6'3", 220, um, maybe he finishes the Florida game. Maybe he completes the season at the University of Georgia. Um, I, I, I'm just not a big – you know, I, I think the best – the very best test and crispness and basically exercise of JT Daniels' abilities have happened all fall in camp against that uh, dominant Georgia defense. Connor, what about the other part of the story of the game on Saturday? Obviously, Kirby Smart's talked a lot in this week leading up to the game about you need to see improved play from the offensive line. One of the places that shows up is with your running back stats, which have left something to be desired through two games here. You know, there's weather conditions on Saturday. The honest truth is I'm terrible at reading forecasts. I can't tell if it's going to rain or not or how much it's going to rain. I'm just not very good at that kind of thing. But there's certainly a possibility that it does, which obviously harkens back to some of the rainy games that Georgia played in 2019, Kentucky in particular. The point, yeah, though, here is, is how big of a story do you expect the running game to be on Saturday? And is there a chance we see improved play from that group? Offensive line opening holes, running backs uh, taking advantage of them. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to see it getting worse uh, based off what we saw last week against UAB. It is going to be something that I think you have to watch for and see how that group improves. Last week, Broderick Jones got in in the first half. But interestingly enough, Jamari Sawyer never slid down a guard. They were playing at times – with uh, Broderick Jones at right tackle and Jamari Sawyer there at left tackle. And so, you know, I I don't know when we're going to see this this offensive line sort of gel and come together, but I think they need to make strides forward this week against South Carolina. Now, obviously, UAB, as Mike pointed out to, to, to start the show, UAB totally sold out to stop the run. I think you're going to see South Carolina probably employ something a little closer to what Clemson played defensively. And from there, I mean, Georgia ran the ball well at the end of that game. And you have to, I think, see them make that progression running the ball well this coming Saturday. Because while, yes, the Georgia passing offense, I think, is still what is going to be what determines whether or not it beats Alabama at the end of the season or in Atlanta in December, I guess, 4th or 5th. You still need to be able to run the ball. Those past Alabama teams have been able to run the ball off of how well they threw the ball. And if you're not able to run the ball like we saw against Clemson, when Clemson just flat out failed to do it and knew that they couldn't. That's why I I think anyone that says, oh, Clemson should have run the ball more, what, so they can get 1.2 yards per carry or whatever they finished at. I I think you need to be able to run the ball well when you have the opportunity to do so because then you become one-dimensional. And and I don't think this Georgia passing offense right now is constituted is good enough to win a big game if it is one-dimensional. Mike, I think Connor brings a pretty good point. A few of them, the one in particular I want to highlight with you is – there were a lot of Georgia fans that I think were hopeful that, oh, once you get past the huge test of Clemson, all of a sudden now you can move Jamari Sire back to the inside and have somebody else ready to go there at left tackle. Obviously, Georgia's got some young tackles that it's seeming to want to get some playing time for. But after the UAB game on Saturday, I came away thinking, at least for the foreseeable future, Jamari Salyer is going to be this team's left tackle, and he's not going to play more of his NFL-style position at guard. I think thus far, Salyer's held up there pretty well, too, for what it's worth. But it seems like for now, Salyer is this team's left tackle, and uh, the I guess the movement inside doesn't show any signs of occurring, at least for me right now. 
Yeah, I don't know. You know, Kirby talks about him moving, you know, practicing at a couple of different spots, and, and Jamari is ultimately going to be a guard. I th- they want to work Broderick Jones in. I think uh, depending on the score and the situation, you'll probably see him get more snaps at left tackle in this game. And, you know, maybe it's just a matter of game reps, B.A. I mean, sometimes uh, that's what players need. I, I think I'd say that for Carson Beck. I mean, he's certainly better than he performed. Uh, believe it or not, he actually had more snaps than Stetson Bennett at quarterback. Uh, and, and I know that uh, Broderick had a lot of snaps at left tackle, so this will be an opportunity for, you know, Matt Luke to, to have some teaching points, uh, opportunity to improve against a quality opponent. I'm with you. I think they probably start Jamari Salyer at left tackle, and, you know, you want to protect your quarterback. You want to get out to a lead. But, you know, that's one of the great things about building a lead. It's, you know, when you can play all these guys and develop this talent, it's, it's kind of why – you know, Clemson dominates the ACC and Ohio State dominates the Big Ten and, and Oklahoma and the Big 12. They get these giant leads and they can develop talent as the year progresses. And you got to hope that that continues to happen for Georgia, that they can stake out to a big lead so that they can work some of these younger players and build their depth because it's a really long season. And we're talking about a team that wants to win a national championship this year. You know, Jeff, Thomas Tyson brings up an interesting point in our comment section about the 2017 team. He says, don't forget, it took that team a little time to jail there as well. But when you look back on that 2017 team, though, Jeff, like one of the things you think you really forget is how many questions there were about the offensive line going to the start of that season. George had all kinds of offensive line issues back in 2016. Struggled to beat Nichols, for instance, because uh, offensive line was just having a hard time there that day. Vanderbilt, similar situation. Really rough performances for Georgia in home games because of struggle with the <laughs> offensive line. And a lot of folks wondered with the freshmen starting at right tackle, we didn't know quite yet what Andrew Thomas was going to turn into. You know, what you were doing there in the center spot, Lamont Galliard, and, you know, some of the other stuff that, that was going on. I don't think a lot of folks really had any idea of how good that offensive line would be. And there were some thoughts preseason was going to be a concern. So when you tell the story of how Georgia went from eight and five to in the college football playoff, an offensive line really emerging and playing well when it really needed to is obviously a huge part of that. It's one of the reasons why both Chubb and Michelle, statistically, statistically speaking, were so much better in 17 than they had been in 16. The offensive line play was just so much better. And obviously there's a correlation here to this season there as well in that that's still what you're looking to see happen for this Georgia offensive line. And up until this point, that really hasn't happened yet. Yeah, I think the the thing that people forget about the Georgia offensive line that year is they started to somebody at, I believe, left guard. You know, they moved that Isaiah went out to left tackle and they started somebody at left guard that basically returned the following year and didn't start at all. Um, that's the one thing where Georgia's, you know, depth and what they were building up from a talent standpoint kind of took over. Um, I got a question for, um, and I'm, I'm saying maybe it's a tongue in cheek question, but yeah, I, I need to know from our beat guys who have their finger on the pulse, how, who banked all those very important mental reps this week? Cause you know, mental reps were very, very key in what Stetson Bennett did for all this time and his five touchdown passes in what, 10 attempts or whatever. Um, I mean, I, I think the offensive line, I think this is what I said. I answered a question last night on Before the Hedges. I think Georgia's trying to find balance and rhythm. So one week when they overcompensate with the passing game, I think you'll see the run game come a little bit harder the following week. A uh, big question for me is if for, there's raindrops, I will know that Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin's offense has truly arrived when they can throw for 250, 300 yards in some rain. Because I didn't think that was possible to the University of Georgia the last three or four cycles, as we've heard. So that's something to watch there. Boy, it really didn't seem like it was back in 2019. I know what you mean by that. SEC dog brings up in the comment section. Connor, let me ask you this. I think you and I have talked about this in the air already this week. But since he's bringing it up now, like he asked about quarterback development of Carson Beck's not starting in what was his second game of his second year on campus. And the one thing I've said over and over again this week when this topic has come up is I don't think it's in any way an insult to Beck nor any kind of referendum on his – talent or future abilities whatsoever that he wasn't pegged to start that game on Saturday I, I just don't think so I think it's presumptive to even uh or presumptuous to even uh, assume a guy like that would be starting this quick in his college career when very good quarterbacks have had to wait a lot longer than that in the SEC and in recent seasons so since it's coming back up in the comment section right now what did you make of Beck not being the one that got the start on Saturday I think Kirby absolutely made the right call. You saw what Stetson Bennett came out there and did. And let's just go ahead and say it. There were a lot of people that didn't want to see Stetson Bennett last year because of how the Alabama and Florida games went out and because he was a no-star recruit, whereas Carson Beck was the four-star recruit. By all accounts, he had had a really strong spring in fall camp. And 
it's the classic boat or mystery box thing. Stetson Bennett happened to be a boat. I'm not saying he's a yacht or anything like that, but he is a boat. He's like, ooh, you have Carson Beck, this mystery box. And a lot of people are like, ooh, let's go with the mystery box here. It could be a boat. And so because of that, I I think people wanted to see Carson Beck. But as you point out, before Saturday, he'd thrown zero career passes in a game. So for him, for anyone to have any expectations of what he might be against a a UAB team that defensively was pretty great last year and played really well against a – Jacksonville State team that beat Florida State. I don't want to get an all transitive property here, but you know, you even look back to, to Tua at Alabama when in that 2017 season, he really developed late in those games when they were blowouts, where he was playing a lot in the second half and they were throwing the ball around. You think back to that Tennessee game that year that Mike was at, where the Tennessee defender flipped the double birds to the Alabama player. Tua was the one that threw that interception. And so yeah. just because you're not starting and getting reps right away at the beginning of the game, those reps where you get in a blowout, and they still let Carson Bennett throw the ball quite a bit there in the second yeah. half, I think there's still value in it. And so just because you're not starting doesn't mean that you're not developing. And I, I think that this past Saturday, Carson Beck learned a lot. I'm sure he learned a lot from that interception that he threw. And he when he gets his next chance and opportunity, which I think is going to come this Saturday, when Georgia's up big in the second half, you're going to see him grow and develop and learn even more from that. I mean, Mike, the fact of the matter for me is, you know, Connor mentions the 2017 signing Alabama to a tongue by a low, but it's another 2017 signing Mac Jones that I think is also – really relevant here because i mean he was buried on the bench forever and he was named start of the new england patriots five minutes into his nfl career you know sometimes good college quarterbacks have to wait and frankly i'm just not quite as wrapped up in the bet didn't start drama as some fans have seemed to be now for going on really a week yeah people get carried away with recruits i think jeff does such a fantastic job with his buildup of these guys they they read Jeff's stuff and they think they're ready to go tomorrow. And, and again, you know, Jeff's columns and intelligence, the Centel Intel is something I enjoy and you can't help but get fired up and excited. But then you got to remember that it's all relative once they get in the clubhouse. Right. And, and there's competition with other great players. I, I do think that that will be a, a make or break game for Carson Beck. Uh, it was embarrassing that he didn't pursue with the pick six and Robert Griffin, the third blew that out of proportion on a national television audience, the takeaway on Carson Beck after two years was to be ridiculed for not hustling after an intercept. That's tough. Boy, that's tough to swallow, especially when you're disappointed that you didn't get the start, uh, didn't play particularly well. And right now, a lot of Georgia fans questioning Carson Beck because of that lack of effort. I mean, at the very least, give 100%. So that was a tough moment for young Carson Beck. Um, I'm eager, like you guys, to see him have a chance to go out there and and uh, validate himself once again. I don't know if this is the game. I don't know the situation. Um, it is the first time that he played. You did see why he struggled uh, or why Kirby made the call that he did. Um, but I don't think, like you, Brandon, I, I don't think this necessarily casts the die on Carson Beck's future with Georgia unless he lets it cast the die. A lot of this is going to be how he responds to the adversity from that game. Yeah, I mean, my thing on this is, to slightly disagree with you a little bit, while I don't think he's going to get buried for anything that happened on Saturday, I also don't think that he can be validated by anything against South Carolina either. He's just too young into his career. Listen, I I get the idea that he was a four-star recruit, but listen, there's also an army of people who are four-star quarterbacks. When you talk about five-star quarterback, now you're talking about one of 30 players in the country that can even have that five-star designation. Obviously, there are fewer you know, quarterbacks. But I mean, you know, if you really want to get into like specifics of recruiting rankings, you know, there are people in uh, Beck's category uh, across the country. And I'll just kind of leave that at that. But when it comes to the to the defense overall, or I should say when it comes to something else to talk about for a moment, the defense, I sort of get the impression that we might be heading into a situation on Saturday where it's entirely possible that Georgia does not give up an offensive touchdown again. Kirby Smart's going to hate this. He probably would hate that we're talking about it right now. But is it going to be a thing after Saturday, Georgia's three games of not giving up an offensive touchdown? That seems kind of fun for me. This defense is incredibly fun to watch. I kind of like the idea of the streak a little bit and to think it could extend another week against Vanderbilt. It's kind of cool, too. Are we going to turn this into a thing where this Georgia defense goes now multiple games without giving up an offensive touchdown and, as of right now, scoring more points than it's allowed? Are we, are we going to continue that? Yes, uh, and Kirby's going to hate it because people are going to start asking about probably not before the Vanderbilt game, but if they still haven't given up a touchdown coming after out of that Vanderbilt game, uh, I certainly think Kirby's going to get annoyed when he a- gets asked about it. But 
again, when you have a guy like Channing Tindall, this is a big game for him this week, going against his hometown team there in Columbia, South Carolina. When you have him coming off the bench as your third inside linebacker, Mm -hmm. I mean, it just speaks to the wealth of talent that you have on this team and the fact that you're able to rotate those guys in and keep them fresh. I think, you know, while obviously you understand why a guy like Jermaine Johnson transfers out, they have so much quality depth and talent to where I think this year, maybe more so than years past, they're able to play their top guys a little bit more, but they're also able to still rest them. So you are seeing Nolan Smith play more snaps, Adam Anderson get more snaps. And as the season progresses, they're going to do a good job of balancing that. But I mean, and then you have a guy like Nazir Stackhouse, who I don't think we'd have, we'd met, said his name on any one of our broadcasts to this point. He comes in and he looks like another potential yeah. impact player there on that defensive line in the first half. Uh, it's a really strong statement by this Georgia defense so far. And, you know, again, they're going to be the talk of the town after South Carolina and Vanderbilt. And then obviously the schedule gets tougher, but it's just an incredible performance to start the year for this group. Totally agree, Jeff. How much fun do you think it'd be for fans if Georgia really does put another game? on the shelf that doesn't result in an offensive touchdown, I would dare say people will notice. Yeah. But I think it's, I think it's totally different, Brandon. I know the recruits that are being, that are forming very strong impressions right now of this team. They tell me that it's different with Georgia. Georgia's defensive has always been a statistical Marvel where they, they give up very few points, but it's just the way they're doing it now. It, it is, I can hear all the old football coaches I've been around all my life saying, come to your work, like you're going to kill an ant with a sledgehammer. And that's what George is doing defensively. They're suffocating. They're denying teams. Uh, players have always told me for many years that they, they love the way Georgia plays with swag or intensity. What I mean by that is, folks, look at every big stop. There's literally like a – there's literally like a – Panama City Beach spring break party that happens every time Georgia's defenders make a huge play. And, and I think the, the recruits I speak to, they notice that. They say Georgia plays with an edge defensively. They're always celebrating. They're always happy. Um, I, I just think this team defensively, I mean, I, I don't know. Look, look in the future, Brandon. If there's a future that sees Dan Lanning uh, seeing three or four of his former linebackers picked in the first or second round of the NFL draft, kind of like at the Aziz Ojolari level and above, I think that's incredible for the program. And I think I think if Georgia – this is what I hope you listen to right here, Brandon. If Georgia was having this season this year in 2020, I think Georgia would have had a lot better shot with guys like Corey Foreman and Mason Smith because this is what recruits have yeah. always wanted to see from Georgia. That's exactly right, and that's a well said. And also makes my stomach hurt to think about Georgia missing out on guys like that because it wasn't playing this dynamically with elite talent in the past, but at least they're doing it now. Mike, one more on this, then I want to talk about something different, uh, or at least – looking ahead of the game on Saturday, William Gleaton mentions the kicking situation. Obviously we've seen Pelesny miss a couple of short field goals here to begin the season. Kirby Smart was asked about it this week, kind of took the hands off approach, obviously, you know, when it comes to a mental thing like kicking best to stay out of the way, maybe was Smart's thought on that. But I know you've talked about the kicking situation uh, a little bit, and obviously there's going to be a little bit of a spotlight on Pelesny if he's not making field goals. Yeah, three strikes and you're out. He needs a good game. I mean, Kirby did mention the competition this week, and he mentioned Jared Zirkle. And, you know, hey, I mean, this is this is how it is at Georgia, you know. And unfortunately, uh, you know, when they've been when they've attempted field goals there, there hasn't been any kind of a celebration, much less a Myrtle Beach or Daytona Beach type of celebration to win because they've had misses, Jeff. So they can't celebrate like they're on the beach, you know. It's almost like they're in the Arctic and. Everybody's freezing cold, walking off the field, just trying. Wait, to- I don't get this. Is I don't. Is this Where, a joke? I don't get yeah. this. Well, Jeff was saying that the defense is so good that it looks like a spring break when they make plays because everybody's. Oh, okay. You know, I was just saying that my, it's my just apologies. the opposite with the kick. My apologies. It's it's frigid. It's it's if there's and, and the one thing I want you to hear, Brandon, is that he can't keep missing field goals and be the Georgia kicker. I mean, there's only so long that. It's only so much rope that Kirby can give this guy. It doesn't matter what he does in practice. You know, you've got to do it in the games. I mean, that's that's when you earn your money. Well, I would still hope, like to see Georgia just punch into the end zone and make this a moot point. But uh, obviously there's going to be a lot of pressure on whoever the Georgia kicker is to go out there and make big kicks. And thus far, Bud Lesney has, I'm sure, not performed that to the level that he would like to have with, with a miss against UAB and a miss there against Clemson there as well. It's cover four live. That's Mike Griffith, Jeff Sintel, Connor Riley on hand there as well. We're happy to have all of you with us. I want to turn our attention to this just for a moment. And Connor, you and I were kind of the same mind on this. You wrote about this dognation.com and I talk about this day on dog nation daily. So 
Kirby Smart, you know, responded yesterday, something that Shane Beamer had said earlier this week, where Beamer in his weekly press conference, and most press conferences are going to begin the same way. Uh, Mark Rick used to do a long version of this. Kirby Smart does a little less of that, where you talk about your upcoming opponent. And most coaches obviously praise their upcoming opponent. Yet Shane Beamer went pretty over the top in describing the talent level of Georgia, comparing it to Matthew Stafford and Roquan Smith and all the great players that played here before, saying that it's the most talented Georgia team of all time. Now, I want to get to that aspect of the phrase there for a moment, but folks got to understand how long Beamer went kind of hammering that point home of there's never been a Georgia team quite like this one before the one that he's about to play. I think you and I both, Connor, would have kind of assumed that Kirby Smart doesn't really like when the opposing coach goes that far out of his way to say things like that. Am, am I putting your words in your mouth if I describe your feelings that way? No, that that's correct. I, I You know, because, again, on paper, yes, this is, statistically speaking, if you use the 247 team talent ranking, the most talented Georgia team of all time. And at just point, they're actually using that talent now in a way to be more dynamic, specifically on the defensive side of the ball. And I think Kirby has shown that he wants to get there on the offensive side of the ball. They just haven't had – the sort of injury luck to get there. But you can also understand why Kirby's bristled at the notion. Obviously, we remember what happened with Gus Malzahn a year ago. It's because these opposing coaches use this talent as a way to hit back at Georgia. If Georgia wins, it's all, well, of course you win. You have more talent. And if right. they beat Georgia, it's all, look at this great team that we beat. And, you know, it, it's where it's one of those situations where, again, recruiting is such a big part of college football, but for some reason we choose to ignore that. And so because Kirby is such a great recruiter when they don't win a national title because they lose to Alabama, who is the one team in the country that has more talent than them. And they have more talent than Georgia this year using that same metric I cited earlier, even though they lost six first round picks a season ago. You know, it's something that critics have far often used against his Georgia program. So while yes, Shane Beamer is correct in what he says there, Kirby Smart, in my opinion, is also justified in bristling at the notion that hey, that these coaches are going to say how talented this Georgia team is when they're just as likely to go out there and say it the next week because it's so often used against him and his ability as a head coach. Mike Connor's right, correct? I mean, it's a backhanded compliment, when whether it be Malzahn a year ago, Shane Beamer this week. I mean, there is a little bit of a backhanded compliment baked into the cake on that, right? I, I don't know. I think I think he's just – Telling it like it is. I mean, it's a super talented team. Uh, you know, how it came up, I, I didn't know the context of it, but. I mean, you got to go listen to the thing. It's like three minutes long. Like I played, I played uh, about 50 seconds on my show and I had to edit out two thirds of what he said because it was just so repetitive. Well, to be fair, Kirby made UAB sound like the 66 Packers all week. I mean, all we heard about was how they can confuse you and how good they are and you know, I, I let, let's, you know, let's not be hypocritical. I think this is what coaches do. They talk up their opponents. And when you talk about Georgia, there's a lot of talent when, you know, and, you know, Kirby talked about Bill Clark, like, you know, coach of the year. And I thought the guy was awful. He got completely outcoached and gave away two touchdowns, if not three. So, you know, should we throw Kirby under the bus because he made UAB out to be a, a much better coach team, a much better defense than they were? Well, of course not. And, you know, Shane Beamer's a nice guy that knows that his team is in over their heads this week, and I, I think he's spitting facts. I, now, as far as, you know, metrics and things like that, I don't know. And and, and also for Kirby, I mean, what, what doesn't upset him? I mean, every he gets irritated if you say his team does well. He gets irritated if you see his team doesn't do well. I mean, Kirby's a guy that goes in looking to find a chip on the shoulder. So I, I didn't think he took this quite as harsh as he did the Gus Malzahn deal that was absolutely comical the way he went off on Malzahn something else going on there I think I think this one he just kind of shrugged off a little that was my take on it so here's the real reason I wanted to bring this up though because and I briefly mentioned this on my show today but hope we could get a little bit get into it a little bit here tonight so Connor is right that it's objectively true that this is the most talented Georgia team of all time the only way we can measure this is through ratings coming into the program they've never had more talent and it seems like the last few years, 17, then 18, then 19, then 20, then 21, it seems like that kind of overall talent number keeps going up. Percentage of former four- and five-star recruits, the, the actual individual player ratings, however you want to judge this, it seems to get higher and higher and higher. But, Jeff, I think you would agree with me that Georgia, looking at the five-stars, it could lose this year. They're not going to replenish that same number of five stars in the 2022 class. At least I don't assume they're going to. Maybe you're going to tell me I'm wrong about this. So here's my here, here's my question to you, Jeff. Looking at who could leave as juniors that were five stars, 
you know, you know, the attrition the program's about to experience, what's likely to come in for the 2022 class. Will there ever be a team as measurably talented at Georgia as this ever again, at least in the near future, that we can kind of put our hand on? Is this peak talent for Georgia on the field in 2021? I think it's I think it's a little bit of that, Brandon, but I think it's peak timing. If I had a PowerPoint or a flow chart with pie charts and pie graphs or something like that, you have the intersection of players, which I feel are mature Bulldogs, mature college football players, their second or third years. And then those guys are also five stars. And that's intersecting with pieces at quarterback, pieces at tight end. I think, you know, like here's a good example. Mike was talking about it's very hard for these recruits to crack the lineup anymore. That's because Georgia has been bringing in dudes like this for four or five years now. For someone to crack through the crack through the mix now is going to be a very special player, kind of like a Brock Bowers is or somebody that gives you a little bit something different that wasn't wasn't there in the program before. I think if you're looking for guys that come into Georgia now and kind of replenish or replace those three-year Bulldogs or four-year Bulldogs, I think you're going to see the portal do a lot of that stuff where um, – now, I'm going to tell you, folks, you look, at, you look at schools like LSU, you look at other schools across the country where maybe they're certainly not performing up to a certain standard at this point of the year. Um, I know there are a lot of players on a lot of rosters that, that left uh, their college recruiting experience feeling really good about Georgia. Uh, and I think Georgia would become a portal destination for a lot of those guys that you would look for for that instant replacement. I think it's got to be a grown man. It's got to be – I don't think Georgia will ever find another Jordan Davis because I think Jordan Davis is going to go into a box kind of like Georgia will never find another champ or another Roquan. But what you got to do is you got to find guys like Nakobe that are also – that are pretty – special or legendary uh, bordering on legendary in their own right. Uh, I think what you're going to see here, I think Connor mentioned it earlier. Again, I'm going to talk about gravitas here. And this is what I saw at the beginning of the last drive Clemson had in Charlotte, where here's Clemson. They're, they're getting up off the mat. They're coming back like Rocky in round 15. And they, Georgia started out, Georgia had the gravitas to sit there and say, I believe it was Nazir Stackhouse and I believe it was Tramel Walthour, where Georgia went with reserve defensive tackles to start that drive. Why? Because they were brash and bold and confident enough to think that we'll be all right. Let's give Jordan Davis and let's give uh, Devontae Wyatt a few more sips of Gatorade. Folks, a lot of people miss the fact that Devontae Wyatt didn't even play at all against UAB, which is what I heard was due to a coach's decision or something that happened off the field. Um, when Georgia does now, you, you think about a guy like Zion Logue. You think a guy like a next year will be Jalen Carter's kind of showcase year. You, I think a guy like Tyrion Ingram Dawkins will come along. I see Bill Norton coming along. I think now it's going to come to the point where Georgia's guys that have marinated for two or three seasons, now it becomes their turn. Now they may not be the Trayvon Walkers and Adam Andersons and Nolan Smiths and the Kobe Deans and Lewis Seams like Georgia's rolling out right now, but look what Georgia just did in the portal. They brought in a Tyke Smith. They brought in a, a Eric Gilbert, who's you know still a big TBD over his whole season. But I think Georgia and Darion Kendrick as well, that's, that's one name that nobody really mentions a lot right now with Georgia. I think he's holding up and he's doing a very good job so far with a, with a little bit of not of the same theatrics that you heard that Clemson endured during his junior season. Um, I think the portal, if you're looking for guys that roll right in, I don't think the internal talent will be uh, maybe as quickly effective as guys that might want that one year and bounce and go to the NFL. Connor, am I wrong to say that I'm not quite so sure George will ever have as many five stars in its roster as it does on the 2021 team? I think you might be wrong. I think if they start winning championships or at least one, yeah. I think they present themselves as a very nice alternative to Alabama. I, I think you sort of saw the bump that LSU got when they really opened up their offense in 2019 and the sort of recruits they were getting. Now you imagine what that might look like for Georgia and Kirby Smart there. I will point out that with the team talent as well, you know, you saw last year's recruiting class Take a slight step back a little bit. You can chalk that up to the pandemic. You can chalk it up to uh, to no visits, whatever that might be. But so, to at least in the near-term future, because of that 2021 class, this, this talent is going to, I think, take a while to potentially get back up there. But if you couple that with winning a championship, replacing that star-studded 2019 class and that star-studded 2020 class should be pretty easy, at least in terms of getting five-star players.
And you also don't necessarily need 25 stars for a national champion. Right. You need some. You don't necessarily need 20 or 19 or however many Georgia, you know, currently has. So I would say a pretty talented team all the way around. Let me shift gears to talk about this on here on Cover 4 Live with Connor and Mike and Jeff and me and all of you tuning in to be with us here tonight. It's been kind of an interesting run as of late for former Kirby Smart assistants. Obviously, Georgia will coach against one on Saturday with Shane Beamer coming back to town. And Sam Pittman, one of the most beloved assistants of the smart era, got a huge win last week, signature win in his second year at Arkansas when the uh, Hogs beat Texas there at Reynolds Razorback Stadium. Another former Kirby smart assistant, Mel Tucker, uh, seems to get the ship kind of turned around a little bit there at Michigan State. We'll find out more when they play Miami on Saturday. And there are also current Georgia assistants who are seemingly on their way to becoming head coaches there as well. So kind of a fun, just sort of big picture topic here. Mike, of the current or former Kirby Smart assistants, either guys who are head coaches or about to be head coaches, who do you think will ultimately be the most successful of that group if we want to kind of fast forward 20, 25 years in the future? Who is the Kirby Smart assistant you think that will end up having the best head coaching career? Well, when you say best, are we talking about win championships? Because it's kind of relative to where they start. I think Mel Tucker is is off to a really good start. Uh, obviously he did a nice job at Colorado so good that he was hired after one year in year one, he beat Michigan, uh, at Michigan state. And, you know, this is a really big game for Michigan state at Miami, uh, on Saturday. This is a, a big opportunity for the Spartans to kind of play themselves back into respectability after some down years. Uh, Sam Pittman, what he's doing is, is wonderful. The win over Texas was huge for the Razorbacks. They won three games last year. They had a big win over old miss uh, it appears that he's got a lot of buy-in there. I'm still not sure uh, about the recruiting and how difficult it is to recruit to Arkansas. Uh, so there's a challenge there. And, and Shane Beamer is just getting started. So, um, you know, it's it's really tough to say, Brandon, uh, real early in the game. I would probably predict Mel just because he's younger and he seems to be in a better position right now than Shane Beamer is. Uh, that's not to say that Sam won't have success, but – it's awful hard to have a lot of success in the SEC West division. So I don't know that – I'm not trying to say who's the better coach. I'm just saying, you know, because of Mel's age, because of where he's at, I, I think there's more more ceiling at Michigan State than Sam has at Arkansas. And, and even for Shane at South Carolina, what he took and the programs he's trying to hurdle, uh, that's going to be a challenge. I'll give you two quick opinions on this. Of the first-year coaches in the SEC right now, Harson at Auburn, even though that's kind of a better program, Josh Heupel at Tennessee historically has been a better program. I'm not even going to count Clark Lee in this discussion. I actually like the outlook for Shane Beamer as a first-year coach better than both Heupel or Harson, even though historically Auburn has been a more talent-rich program. I like the outlook for Beamer a little bit better, and I'm – very high on what Sam Pittman's doing right now at Arkansas. You won't always have Barry Odom and Kendall Browles as your two coordinators, but as of now, boy, it looks pretty good uh, relative to expectations to a place like Arkansas. Jeff, I'll give you the whole lot here, either the current assistants, the former assistants who have become head coaches, which guy ends up winning the most? Mm. I know people would love for me to say Todd Munkin, uh, but uh, I, I got to say, for me, it, it depends on how I look at this question. I would think of this question as who has the highest highs. And I think Sam Pittman's going to have the highest highs. I think it's going to just be about five, six or seven years. I think I think incredible, uh, amazing, jubilant success for Sam Pittman at Arkansas is to kind of win like Auburn has over the past five, six, seven, five, six, seven years. Um, I think that's a good perch for for Sam Pittman to take to take Arkansas. And I think that would be tremendous if he can do that. Long-term, I would probably go with a, I would go with a Dan Lanning once he gets his own ship. Uh, I do know uh, folks tell me that Lanning is very motivated to win a, win a championship at Georgia first before he moves on. Um, this certainly seems like the best year to do that with timing and everything. But I do like what Mike's saying about Mel Tucker. He's in a weaker conference. Uh, he's going to recruit really well. He's going to play very good defense. Um, the, so th those are the names. I think I can, I can see one guy on this staff, whether it's a Schumann or whether that's at Lanning, just sticking with uh, Kirby kind of long term, the way Kirby stuck with Saban or maybe um, maybe even as far as as long as Mickey Andrews stuck with Bobby Bowden, the late great I mean, Bobby Bowden. Not turn this into a Big Ten show and not to disparage Mike's alma mater, but boy, the institutional situation in Michigan State seems pretty rough. I mean, part of the reason that Tucker gets hired there is not because – of how great he was, but how desperate Michigan State was for a coach and learned some of the things that happened. So I'd love to see Tucker do well there because I like Tucker a lot. 
boy, there has been some there's been some issues up there in East Lansing that uh, I think that Tucker inherits, unfortunately, is kind of tough on him. The other thing I'll say, and Connor, I'll give you a chance to weigh in on this, is you know, not only am I impressed with what Pittman is doing, I'm really rooting for this kind of coach to take hold. You know, to me, Pittman is Arkansas's version of what Ed Orgeron's been at LSU, a guy who loves the state, you know, in Orgeron's case, Louisiana, and Pittman's case, the state of Arkansas, and kind of sells that as a head coach of the flagship school in the state. Like the other day before the Texas game, you see him like visiting tailgates. He's doing cornhole with people there. He goes back and forth with fans on Twitter. You know, I'm kind of a – like, like, I'm not one of these, like, super serious journalist types or something like that. I like to see college football be fun and be entertaining. And Pittman is just an entertaining guy. I, I just think that um, that he embraces the fun part of that. And, frankly, I hope that Pittman does have success because I want college football to be a little bit more like what Sam Pittman's making it like as the uh, head coach at uh, Arkansas. But is is he your answer here? Do you see someone being more successful long-term when he has a chance to be there with the Hawks? If you're giving the the only reason I wouldn't say Sam Pittman, and I think he's going to be like the actual best head coach in terms of what he's able to accomplish, he just won't have the runway that either Shane Beamer or Mel Tucker end up having. I think Mel Tucker is going to be a good coach. I just I, I worry a little bit there. Michigan State, when you have Penn State, you have Michigan, you have Ohio State in that division there, and Indiana looks to be a program that is getting thing right things right there. Uh, Maryland as well. You can mention the Big Ten East is not exactly a, a walk through the park there, so Mel, Mel Tucker is going to have to have some sharp elbows up there. But yeah. I, I, I to your larger point, I do think that I want to see Sam Pittman succeed because I think that is a good template for the rest of college football. I think Sam Pittman in the early success that he had at Arkansas last season absolutely played a willingness in how, how South Carolina went out and hired Shane Beamer. And they tried to say, Hey, he could be our Sam Pittman here, be a guy who loves this state who, and Beamer might be a little different because he is a lot younger. I think Arkansas is going to be the only head coach, uh, head coaching job Sam Pittman has uh, for the rest of his career. And I, I hope it's a 10, 13 year career where he, he, he really makes some inroads there, maybe gets to an SEC championship game. I do obviously have the concerns that Mike brought up with recruiting there, but dudes love to play for that guy. You hear, you hear former Georgia offensive lineman talk about it. I think this program is worse on the offensive line because Sam Pittman is not here anymore. And so because of that, Sam Pittman, I, I absolutely root for him. If I had to go a, a guy on the current staff here, Give me Glenn Schumann. I know Dan Lanning's going to be a really good, a really good coach, but I think Schumann, sort of to Jeff's point, he's going to wait and be picky with the type of job he gets. And I do think he's probably the candidate more likely to stick around with Kirby. He was on his first staff. I think he's going to be a, a defensive coordinator for Georgia sooner rather than later. And I just think from everything I've heard about this guy, from how well he recruits to how well he relates with players, I, I think this guy's going to be an absolute star. Not to say that Lanning won't, but give me Glenn Schumann here. Since Great, sort of yeah, if I could get somebody on, on the current Georgia team, I'm going to go with Stetson Bennett. I think Stetson Bennett <laughs> – is going to be a great football. And you guys are laughing, but think about the male. I like that answer. Accomplished. I, the, the guy's got moxie. I mean, he's the way he came back after he was buried after some of those performances, the way he improved his deep ball, the poise that he showed, the relationships that he's built. I, I think he's the only person that Kirby Smart likes on the planet openly. Uh, I mean, the guys, on, I mean, he's just, it, it's just remarkable. He is Rudy on steroids. Listen, don't ever watch Rudy and, and get anything out of that again. George has got a former walk-on here that's doing unbelievable things. He didn't just get in the game at Alabama. He beat Alabama for a half. I mean, that that's just, I, I Stetson Bennett, I mean, get the Halloween costumes out and be Stetson Bennett again this year, folks. He's remarkable and he's my pick. For future I'd like head. to point out Rudy was offsides. I just I just want to clarify that there and, and his historical uh, significance to the Notre Dame program has been uh, vastly overrated according to Joe Montana. I just well, want to I put believe that out there. Stetson beats Florida if he doesn't sprain the shoulder. I, Georgia wins that game if Stetson Bennett doesn't get injured on that play. Yeah, I mean they were up what fourteen nothing there in that time. Um, Mike John William Adams also brought up the name Del McGee. You know a year ago we saw Charles Huff, the running backs coach at Alabama, leave and go become head coach at Marshall. Down the street, I'm not sure how he's doing. I haven't seen the Thundering Herd play yet this year. But uh, running backs coach did get a head coaching job. McGee's been obviously well-known high school guy. He's kind of worked his way up the ranks, was at Georgia Southern. And that's a future head coach, I think, on this roster. But of the guys that are currently on the staff, do you see uh, a head coach there in, in, in waiting somewhere that's currently on the staff? Oh, 
for sure. Dan Lanning, he's a he's a slam dunk. He can be he can afford to be picky. I mean, he brings energy. He's young. He's going to take some of the Georgia staff with him. Uh, I mean, he's the whole package. I mean, he he has the energy and he has the looks and and he has the coaching acumen. Got the resume, you know, and he's a good human being. I mean, you know, Lane Kiffin's really not so. But but Lane has all those things, but kind of on the dark side with you know all the off the field curricular, uh, you know Joey Freshwater. What I mean, the, the guy is you know, but but Lanning is 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 just you know he's such a tremendous prospect. It makes me wonder where does Dan Lanning go? He's obviously going to have a good opportunity. Uh, does it come in the SEC? You think he's from Missouri? Uh, could he be the next Missouri coach if uh, Eli goes somewhere else or or doesn't fare well? I'm trying to think who in that where in that region would you put the former uh, Kansas State? Maybe would Dan take that job? I know his name came up for Kansas, but uh, I think Dan Lanning is a guy that I would invest in on the current staff. Yeah, I mean, I think the one problem for him is he's obviously a sharp guy and was you know uh, somewhat linked to the uh, Kansas job, but I mean, I think that. We're in such an offensive, evol- you know, kind of what do you, what do you call it? offensive, just this offensive era for college football. I think that's always going to be a challenge when it comes to getting the really big job. And your you know, background is on defense. That's always going to be kind of the challenge right now. But obviously, I think that Lanning's got a very bright future ahead of him, potentially as a head coach there as well. Maybe another a number of other Georgia assistants there, too. By the way, NFL underway here with uh, New York and uh, Washington, the uh, football team three-and-a-half-point favorites here. If you're Aziz that, with a huge sack. He got a huge sack a couple minutes ago. Jump, just Ready? jumped over B.A. right there. <laughs> just jump on in there. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. Uh, if, 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 if we don't know by now, if anybody on this show waits until somebody stops to talk, that would probably be me more than anyone else. Um, but you know what? Here's what I well, think. Hold on, no, tell people. Finish uh, uh, telling people. Uh, Ojolari. Uh, the, the point I was trying to get to people was is that Ojolari, after getting a sack in his first game last week, already getting a sack here in the early stages here of his uh, second game there as well. Jeff, floor back to you. <laughs> I'd like to be a jukebox salesman in Arkansas. I think those would be very well right now, and that's all I have to say. No, I think that's uh, I think that's absolutely true. Very good stuff all the way around. Hey, let's do one more topic before we get ready to wrap things up here today. And I think this is kind of an interesting one. I think Connor brought this up before the show. So obviously, the big game in the SEC this week is Florida and Alabama. And listen, Georgia got a long-standing rivalry with Florida. People know how I feel about the Gators, and they've got kind of a burgeoning rivalry. At least they'd like to make it one with Alabama um, in the uh, very near future. So a lot of emotion involved in seeing these two teams play each other. Connor, what's a better result for Georgia? An Alabama win on Saturday or a Florida win on Saturday? Alabama win. Georgia has to be the team that beats Alabama in the SEC, I think, for what they're trying to accomplish. And sure, you know, it'd be maybe easier to convince yourself that that's going to happen in the SEC championship game. But, boy, some people think Dan Mullen is annoying now. Give him the ammunition of, of having beaten Alabama. Uh, I, I'm sure he'll find some way to top his Darth Vader costume at Halloween this year. I, I I don't think that that's something you want to see if you're a Georgia fan. I, I think you really want to see Alabama sort of put this Florida team in its place and, and sort of go from there. I know Mike gave some really hot takes on uh, Paul Feinbaum today about this Florida team. I Give me Alabama in this game. I think if you're a Georgia fan, you want to see them in tip-top shape when Georgia plays them in the SEC championship game and hopefully beats them that day. 100% agree with Connor on that. Mike, what do you think? What's a better result for Georgia fans? Yeah, I don't think there's any question that, uh, you know, Georgia getting this win is – or excuse me, uh, Alabama getting this win is better than Florida. You know, guys, I, I talked with um, I talked with Edgar Thompson, who writes for the Orlando Sentinel, uh, before the show tonight, and I asked Edgar uh, about this team. And let me tell you, his comment was, Anthony Richardson is better than anybody's on, on Georgia's team. He says this quarterback is a game changer. Apparently – uh, they're raving about him. Uh, he has a slightly pulled hamstring, conveniently enough for this game. But they are raving about this guy, saying that he is a, a transcendent player. Uh, he's going to he he's the going to turn the program around. You know, and this is what the Florida guys are saying that are watching him. They say he's six four, two thirty. The athleticism, backflips during warmups. I mean. I mean, the guy sounds like Superman, and actually Edgar compared him to Jesus Christ during the conversation. Oh, no. which Come I, on. I thought the same thing, Brandon. I said, my goodness, he's walking on water in Gainesville. So, 
I, I don't know. That's one beat writer to the next. Uh, it, that, that, it does intrigue me, obviously. Uh, probably by the time Georgia plays Florida, that'll be the quarterback. I don't know if we'll see him against Alabama. Um, I'll, I just, I'll, I'll stop there and give Jeff the rest of my time. I mean, listen, Jesus could never be happy in Gainesville. You couldn't find three wise men and a virgin in the whole town. Uh, Jeff, go ahead. Lord's <laughs> 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 yours, Jeff. No, nah, I'm, I'm going I'm to let you take a long walk around that one, guys. That's probably B.A.'s one of his best lines ever. And uh, I want to know this, Brennan. Have you ever repeated that before? Oh, my did, God. Did, did, no, did Mike give mine. you that opening? No, that's not but, mine. That, uh, that, that one's been done a million times. Uh, that's not mine, but it fit perfectly right there, though. It certainly did. Uh, obviously, Florida's got to lose. Gives Georgia a game of uh, separation on uh, them in the SEC East. That's the way everybody will look at that. Uh, Auburn needs to, Alabama, excuse me, needs to remain dominant. Uh, but, Mike, you're a little late on that Anthony Richardson train. We've been talking about this uh, for about three or four weeks now, about how uh, AR has been uh, walking on water in, in Gainesville. I mean, Mullen actually telegraphed this back in the spring. Um, there have been Florida fans in, like, message board world for about a year they've been saying this. It's one of those things where it's like there's always stuff with Florida where, like, the national media is, like, off in the, you know, the middle of next week. And, like, Florida fans themselves always have a little bit different chatter. Like, when the national media was praising Emory Jones, local Florida fans were like, I think Richardson may be the better of the two guys. And then Mullen kind of alluded to yeah, he certainly didn't finish spring practice throwing a ton of praise at, uh, at Emory Jones necessarily. It's just kind of interesting sometimes how the local and the national conversations can be very, very different. Let me just say this real quick and we'll move off this game because I want to get some fans' uh, comments, Georgia fan comments before we're done here. Just be very careful with this assumption that everything is easy for Alabama every single week. Obviously, every single year they completely dominate their, like, week one non-conference opponent. Go back and look in 2016, you know, Seven-point win against Ole Miss, you know, like 2017. They're kind of playing around. One of these years where they give up 30-something points to an Arkansas team that won two games all year. You know, just about every year, like mid to late September, sometimes first week in October, there's a little bit of a sleepwalking game for Alabama. Now, maybe people say, well, that was last week against Mercer. They didn't play great against Mercer, but I just don't quite think that uh, that – Alabama's going to give its full attention to Florida here this week. I don't think that Florida's going to have to win either way, but I could see I could see Alabama sleepwalking a little bit on Saturday. I would just say be very careful about that. I, if Will Anderson doesn't play, I am concerned because they've already lost Chris Allen there. And obviously, yes, Alabama has recruited incredibly well, but I, I think you want to see your, quarter, your, your star pass rushers get after Emory Jones or, or Anthony Richardson, whoever the quarterback is. And not have those type of athletes out there, I think might make things a little bit more difficult for this Alabama defense. I, I don't think Florida is going to stop Florida, Alabama all that much. I still think Bryce Young might struggle a little early on, but I think once they get in the flow of the game, they'll have their way with this Florida defense, especially after they lose their star linebacker, Ventro Miller, for the season. But uh, I, I still, while BA certainly brings up some good points there with, with Alabama and the potential for them to sleepwalk. I think they know this is another chance for them to make a statement. They made one week one against Miami and, you know, having not played all that well against Mercer, I think actually ratchets this this intensity up for this game a little bit more. I mean, here's the thing, Mike, I don't like Mullen, but I'll say this. He's dumb, but he's not stupid. If you know what I'm saying? And that if he knows he can't win, but could he score some points figuratively speaking by keeping it someone somewhat close it would not surprise me at all to see Florida approach this game with the game plan of saving face, living to fight another day, not getting embarrassed at home. And I think for the most part, Florida fans would probably be weirdly okay with that. I think Mullen's a smart enough coach to figure out a way to, to, to not embarrass himself in a spot where a lot of teams do get embarrassed against Alabama. Well, the Gators do actually lead the nation in rushing right now. The FBS ranks, you know, 380 yards a game. So I don't know how much of an illusion that is. I don't know what to say about Florida Atlantic and South Florida. I think Alabama is an altogether different team, different level, obviously. Uh, it is going to be interesting to see who handles that environment the best. Uh, the Swamp is, you know, to me, when it's uh, when it's raucous, it's the most intimidating stadium in the country. I mean, I, I think it's sad for Florida that they play their biggest game in an NFL stadium every other year. But, you know, hey, that's that's their problem. Um 
but for a game like this, they they have won some notable games in the swamp. The last two sellouts, uh, they beat the freshman version of Bo Nix. Uh, they beat the 2018 version of Joe Burrow. Uh, this will be Dan Mullen's third sellout in his four years as a head coach. So, uh, will it amp up Alabama? Will it cause problems for young Bryce Young? Uh, what type of pressure? will be on Emory Jones to hold his job after two performances with two interceptions. Uh, but I think the biggest factor that we're just not going to know is uh, how is Anthony Richardson's hamstring? Well, I think to answer that question from Mike, I think you're going to see two SEC teams miraculously have new starting quarterbacks conveniently next week. I think South Carolina's trotting out Luke Doty uh, next week. Uh, it's just kind of nice to have a fresh start the week after <laughs> a very tough game. I think you may see Doty get the nod for the Gamecocks the following week. And um, I think you may see Anthony Richardson in terms of a, a start getting his first chance post-Alabama. Just it feels like kind of a nice time to reboot your program after something like that. Let's do a couple of comments. We'll get ready to go here. Um, Jeremy Chapman said, the man showed up to a press conference dressed to trick-or-treat. I don't think Mullet can be embarrassed. That actually may be true. He may have lost the ability to feel any shame on that. Um John William Adams uh, weighing in here. Uh, Charles Felder also says, how long before we have Keely Ringo really break out and be explosive on the defense? Well, I guess step one of that was getting his first career interception, which he did last week. And, you know, Jeff, I think right now this secondary is obviously a work in progress here. But, boy, what a luxury for them to be able to take those lumps, take those growing pains. Obviously, you know, probably not a great day necessarily against Clemson, even though there are no you know, offensive touchdowns scored. But what a great luxury it is to have a chance to develop at the front seven doing what it's doing right now. If that were not so true, you'd be noticing a lot more of those young players in that secondary, maybe not always for the right reasons. Yeah, kind of a luxury, Brandon. You were talking about five stars earlier. Uh, how much of a luxury it is for this Georgia defense to have the nation's former number one cornerback just kind of growing, just kind of developing like in the back end of that defense, taking some second team reps, getting acclimated. The guy runs a 10-3, 10-3-5 in the 100 uh, it's interesting to see maybe Keeley might be one of those five stars that, that moves around in the picture as they, as they get to their second and third years in Athens. I want to know this guys, did you guys see this? This was something you want to talk about a chink in mighty Alabama's armor. I saw a stat, uh, which was alarming. It said that uh, Bryce Young has been pressured like 25 times already this year. And he, but he's only been sacked twice. And I guess that was to trumpet the fact that Bryce Young is so elusive and on the move and he's like Houdini in the pocket. But for, for the two teams that they've played to have pressured him that much, uh, that shows to me that protecting the pocket, protecting the quarterback, especially against an elite front like Georgia will have, um, that's pretty foreboding for a potential future matchup. Connor, Ken Feinberg brings up the USC job. Who do you think ultimately gets that job? Do you know yet? No, I don't think we know. I, I don't think it's going to be James Franklin. I think he's going to. I think he's going to find a reason to stay there for another year. Are they really going to hire Luke Fickle? If you're Maybe Fickle, we, don't you wait for the Ohio State job I, I or, think or a so. job especially, like that? Especially with the idea that Ryan Day might might soon be off to the NFL with the way he operates on offense and, and his NFL background from the days with the San Francisco 49ers. So. You know, it's hard to sort of come up with this. Eric Bieniemy is an interesting name. Obviously, the current Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator. It'll be interesting to see how quickly USC moves on this. Obviously, they have time, but you also want to probably try and piece together this recruiting class. I will say, I'm interested in what ends up happening to the interim coach there, Dante Williams. For those that follow recruiting, this guy is one of the best recruiters in the country. He's a big reason why Michael Williams is part of that USC fold there. And while I don't, I'd be pretty surprised if he ends, unless USC wins the Pac-12 this year, which I think would be surprising in and of itself. Uh, I, I'm really interested to see what happens with Dante Williams, whether he's able to be retained there at USC as, say, the defensive coordinator there, and in a way to sort of keep this recruiting class together, or does he go somewhere else and vault himself up with how he handles this USC interim job? I point out the last two interim coaches for USC ended up doing pretty well for themselves. Ed Ogeron, who I think used that job to ultimately parlay that into the LSU gig. And then Clay Helton did well enough in 2015 to get the job outright. So I do think there's mm -hmm. some interest there with how this interim situation turns out with Dante Williams. Obviously, thinking back to when they may have mishandled the situation when Ed Orgeron was interim coach there, you know, one time uh, before. Um, somebody, a couple people are worried about Mike. Mike, they say that you're past your bedtime here. Give us a final thought. We'll get off the air. Mike, what's on your mind? I'm sorry, what'd you say? 
people were afraid that you were getting a little sleepy on it. So I'm going to give you the final. When I was off screen. I don't. I wasn't sleepy. I was just waiting my turn to talk. Um, I I would say Chris Peterson. Never be afraid to jump in there. Um, I would say Chris Peterson would would be a guy. You know, he's kind of out of the game right now. Um, he's been out west. I think he might be a candidate for the USC job. Uh, I don't know. Would Lane Kiffin go back out there? I'm not really sure. I guess if we're down to the final thoughts segment, BA, I would just say that uh, I'd remember Kirby's acronym of win, what's important now. And I think what's important now for Georgia is to start to solidify that offensive line. So I'll be real interested to see uh, how that lineup looks. I'll also be interested to see the running back rotation. Mm -hmm. I think there's a very competitive situation brewing there. Haven't seen James Cook do much carrying the football. Uh, four carries, four yards uh, before that uh, play that he broke. So uh, there's a couple things as Georgia tries to build some momentum and get solidified on the line. Uh, those are the things that I'll the style points I'll be looking for. Doesn't matter what the scoreboard says, they'll they'll blow them out. But I'll be curious to be looking at the lineup and seeing who's lining up where. Uh, Jeff, how about anything from you before we say goodbye here? Three wise men and a virgin. That's great, Brandon. That's just great. That show, this show is going to be remembered for that for all time. And I salute you, my friend. All right. Well, I uh, appreciate all of you being here tonight. Certainly, you look forward to reading a lot from both Connor and Mike as we head towards game day on Saturday. Of course, Jeff's got you covered UJ recruiting. Go back and look at the uh, big commitment today from Carlton Madden. Good-looking prospect out of Cedar Grove, one of the top, deepest, most talent-rich teams in Atlanta right now. Also, very rich look at a uh, pretty impressive visitor list starting to form for Georgia this Saturday with a night game. Hopefully the rain doesn't dampen this too much, but uh, big visitors on hand, including a high-profile spot for March Manning, the 2023 quarterback. So fun stuff all the way around there. You can read that from Jeff and also hear him tomorrow as a part of Dog Nation Daily there as well. We'll see you back here next Thursday for our Cover 4 Lives. The dogs hopefully are 3-0 and and looking to try to find a way to get 4-0 and in Music City against Nashville. That's next week uh, against Vanderbilt. But uh, for now, we're looking at the South Carolina game and hope you enjoy the weekend. 